read again the verses uh, that we are going to look at this morning from verse 13 of chapter 3 of Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. A strange sight. Jesus is baptized. We uh, live in a day of celebrity, uh, celebrity culture. Uh, in AD 26, uh, there was a genuine celebrity in Palestine, unlike any that we have in our own day. Uh, unlike uh, the likes of Harry Redknapp and Noel Edmonds, who go into the Australian jungle uh, for the TV show, John the Baptist did not go out into the wilderness for wealth or for fame. But nevertheless, there was something about this man, his rugged exterior, his very evident passion for the truth that drew people like moths to a light so that they came out in vast multitudes to where John was baptizing in a desert place and by the Jordan River. And it's a striking scene. I want us to try to uh, imagine it in our minds, uh, to imagine the kind of crowd that uh, emerges after a football match and, and blackens the streets. All of the banks of the Jordan are covered by people. Uh, some are in trees uh, looking over the heads of others. Some are carrying children on their shoulders for a, a better view of the baptizer with his tunic worn for, woven from camel's hair, his piercing eyes, uh, that voice that thunders out, uh, denouncing sin and calling people to repentance. And now he's speaking about the fruit of repentance. And from your vantage point, you can see little groups of people who are going out to uh, John. And he is addressing them in very specific terms as to what it will mean for them to repent. What it will mean for soldiers to meaningfully turn away from their sins. What it will mean uh, for uh, pickpockets. What it will mean for tax collectors. What it will mean for this group of farmers and these carpenters. Because all of humanity seems to be represented here. There are, are people who are respectable, uh, religious people. And there are people whose notoriety is uh, well known. And then uh, something takes place which is very strange. It looks as though uh, the day's work is finished. People have been baptised in large numbers. But just when everyone is thinking of dispersing... A solitary figure makes his way purposefully through the crowd. It's a stranger from up north. And although uh, 
people have scarcely heard of him at this point, he will be the one known as Jesus of Nazareth. And he walks into the water and he speaks to John. And he seems to be asking John to baptize him, but John is unwilling. And there is this uh, situation taking place between the two of them. A verbal struggle. John's protesting, uh, I need to be baptized by you. You don't want to be baptized by me. But Jesus, this stranger, is insistent. And John relents. And Jesus goes down into the water and he is baptized. And he comes out of the water and all of a sudden all of heaven breaks loose and there, it's as though the, the curtain that divides the, the seen from the unseen is taken apart and a dove comes down and rests upon Jesus and Jesus will later tell his disciples and others, that this is the Holy Spirit who has come down in visible form. And then there's a voice that is heard. A voice that can only be the voice of God. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And no one uh, who was there at the Jordan River that day would ever forget this remarkable scene. But more importantly, the one baptized that day would never forget this remarkable event. This was significant for Jesus himself. This was a milestone. This was the commencement of something very, very significant. This act and the confirmation from uh, the Father and the Spirit. And as we're saying to the children, it's a remarkable Incident because it brings together the, the three persons of the Trinity uh, in this one uh, event of, of love. But we're still left scratching our heads, wondering what's it all about? What's the significance? John is perplexed. He's even disturbed, it seems, by Jesus' request. Uh, John tried to deter him, we're told, and, and the, the Greek word behind that deter is, is one of repeated action. So John just didn't say, look, I'm not keen on this. John went on and on and on, trying to prevent Jesus from going ahead with this request. He really put up a fight, didn't see the sense of Jesus coming to be baptized. And the reason for that, clearly, is that John knew because God had told him that the one who was now asking to be baptized and to be given a baptism for repentance was the one man who has ever walked this earth who is sinless. He's the Son of God who had come to take away the sin of others. Later on, John will point to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John can't understand why it is that Jesus would ask for this kind of baptism. And Matthew, uh, for his part, doesn't spell out for us uh, completely why it was that this takes place. But there are, like a schoolful writer, there are hints that point us towards the reason for Jesus being baptized. And we're going to think of um, what these are. First of all, it is uh, demonstrating that Jesus is for us. Jesus is for us. 
And then secondly, and from Jesus' own perspective, it is an anointing for his public ministry. And thirdly, uh, it's an event of loving affirmation by his Father. Jesus is for us. So again, think of the recoil in John's mind as Jesus comes towards him, making his way through this, this crowd of sinful people thronging the riverside. Uh, he's thinking, no, no, this, this is not for you. This is, this is not for you. This is for everybody else but you. You don't belong here with these people. This sign is for people who have something to repent of. You are the only one in the world who doesn't need to come here. But Jesus comes. And he identifies with this group of people. And there's something going on here which we've already seen when we were looking at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. And the genealogy is actually very important in our understanding of the baptism of Jesus. Uh, We saw that great care is taken in showing that Jesus is separated from the the contagion of sin. It's made clear in the genealogy that uh, he is the son of Mary, whose husband was Joseph. Jesus is not the son of Joseph, he's the son of God. He's the sinless son of God. And yet, he is inserted into this uh, stream of history, into this, this line, this family line, with all of these people whose sins are only too obvious. There's Manasseh, who sacrificed children. There's Rahab, who was a prostitute. There's David, who committed adultery and murdered Judah, the dealer in slaves. Abraham, who lied about his wife. Jesus' name is inserted into this family line, and yet Jesus never sinned. He never committed any wrong, and there was no good which he left undone. And as we read the gospel, one of the wonderful things of the gospel is that the the sweetness of the life of Jesus touches us from every page. The sweetness of heaven come down to earth. Think of how it must have vexed the Holy Spirit of the Saviour to have walked amongst sinners, to have been there that day. There was a day, um, some of you won't remember it, (laughs) Before the smoking regulations, when it was uh, permissible to smoke in public places. And uh, people worked in offices which were enveloped with cigarette smoke. And even on, on planes, uh, there was a, a thin curtain dividing uh, the section where you could smoke and the section where you couldn't smoke. And nobody noticed it because... Everybody moved around in an atmosphere of cigarette smoke. But now, it's different. And uh, if you're a non-smoker, you take badly to walking through smoke-polluted air. It makes you feel dirty, contaminated. Uh, When you leave a public building, 
hotel or a restaurant or an office block uh, and you go outside. If you're a non-smoker, you spend the first 10 yards of your walk holding your breath as you pass through this cloud of smoke from those who are outside having a cigarette break. Imagine now uh, the owner of uh, an office block, a wealthy man, And he lives on a mansion on a hill where the air is pure, sweet, even heavenly. And he has to come on occasion to visit the workers who work in the office block. And he's in the block one day and he takes the the lift down uh, to the ground floor. The doors open and he goes out to the vestibule outside where he's agreed to meet with some of the staff and everyone is smoking and he enters into this atmosphere which is alien to him, even obnoxious to him and he can't avoid breathing it in and the smokers see that he's not smoking and they offer him, in fact they press on him their cigarettes and he refuses and they despise him for refusing their offer And they exhale their smoke in his face, in his eyes, his nose, his mouth. There is no escape for the owner. It's excruciating for him. (coughs) And there's nothing attractive about sin. And it must have vexed the pure spirit of the Lord Jesus to come amongst humanity in its wretched failure, its... uh, Greed, its cynicism, its lovelessness, its opportunism. And yet Jesus, because he is a true man, will bear the sin of these that are around him and others. And he will make them his very own. And he will take on himself the punishment due to them. And that's why Jesus is there in the Jordan. That's the message that his baptism is sending out. Jesus coming to the water along with these broken, failed, lost and sad people of his day is saying, these are my people and I've come for them. And I'm going to identify so closely with them that I will uh, be made sin and I will bear the punishment of sin. I am for you. I've come to take your place. Secondly, the baptism is telling us that this is the, the anointing for service of Jesus, Son of God. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus and Luke makes it clear, uh, as Matthew makes it clear, as does Luke, that this is a very visible uh, coming down on Jesus. This is not an unobservable inner experience of Jesus. It's something that everyone there could see. The Holy Spirit coming in the shape of a dove. And I believe that we're to see this as an anointing. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. Right at the beginning of his Gospel, Matthew introduces Jesus as Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Now, Messiah means anointed one. And later, uh, in the synagogue of Nazareth, Jesus will apply Isaiah 61 verse 1 to himself, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's the anointed one, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, uh, priests and kings were anointed, anointed with oil. And we see especially that Jesus is coming to be a priest and a king. What did a priest do? Well, the priest represented the people before God. Now, of course, it's what Jesus did. We've been seeing how he came to stand with the people. He will bear their sin. He is the one who identifies with broken people like you and me. Uh, he takes our part. He can sympathize with your weaknesses as a human. But the priest also had to do with sacrifice. Uh, we're reminded in the Bible again and again that sin requires sacrifice. The only way to wipe out the stain of sin is the shed blood of sacrifice. And in that genealogy with which Matthew begins his gospel, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These two names are, are highlighted. And with the name Abraham, we, we think of that dreadful incident in the sense of awesome where Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son, the son of promise, his only son. And we read of how the two of them went up Moriah together with hardly a word spoken between them. Abraham's heart breaking with every step. And on the mountain, at the point when sacrifice is about to be made, the heavens split and the voice of God speaks. And in place of Isaac, a ram is provided. And at the baptism of Jesus, when the voice from heaven speaks, there's an echo of this event on Moriah. Except Jesus will not be spared. It's us who will be spared. He will take our place. He is the substitute, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The coming of the Spirit of Jesus' baptism is telling us, is affirming to everyone who sees that Jesus is being set apart for the day when he will die on the cross for our sins. It's his commissioning as a priest for us, the only priest that we will ever need, whose sacrifice for us will be complete and eternal. He steps forward as a priest who intercedes and who purges from sin. It's also an anointing that points to his coming as a king. Kings were anointed with oil. Jesus is anointed. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of David. He's coming as David's greater son. David was the greatest king who ever sat on the throne of Israel. But Jesus is greater far. And he will come to, to bring about a great victory. He will defeat his and our enemy, Satan. 
He will open up the door of heaven. He will call us to submit to His rule. His gentle, gracious rule. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke on you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest for your souls. So, the coming of the Holy Spirit in this visible form is Jesus' anointing. This is the commencement of His work. He has come to be a priest and a king. And then, we have the affirming love spoken by the Father, the third element of this baptism. The Father has sent Him in love for people like you and like me whose lives are ruined by sin, who have been caught up in the the wake of the fall, who are headed for eternal catastrophe. He has come for us. And in this act of, of symbolism, where Jesus is identifying with sinners, where he is being set apart as a priest and as a king, Jesus is saying, I am willing to embark upon this work of salvation. Here I am. And the voice of the Father is heard. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now of course the Father has loved the Son eternally. There was never a moment when the Father did not love the Son. But this is a special moment. There's a special emphasis here. The verb to be well pleased indicates that this pleasure was taken at a specific time. It was a definite act of of taking pleasure. In other words, God the Father is well pleased because of what Jesus has just done. He is well pleased because Jesus has just taken on the task of coming alongside us to carry our grief and bear our sorrows, to be the one who will pay the price of our sin. And heaven smiles. It's a wonderful thing to bask in reflected glory. Uh, Maybe you've had occasions when uh, lovely things have been said about your wife or your husband. You rightly let them fall on you because you're connected. There's that sense in which you are one. Or think about at a more mundane level, uh, you went up to collect uh, the cup at the end of uh, a school football league and you shared in the applause and the honour of being a cup winner, even although you sat on the bench throughout that last match, because you are part of the team, you are one with them, you belonged. Faith joins us to Jesus, who is the beloved. And in our darkest moments, it's one of the greatest remedies to remember that we are united by faith to Jesus with whom God is well pleased. 
the benediction that falls on Jesus. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Falls on us. The point of the baptism of Jesus is to show Jesus is for us. He comes into the stream of human life and identifies himself with sinners to save us. He comes down to raise us up out of the mire of our sin. He comes to turn around the pronouncement of guilty to a declaration of favour, to bring to us the sunshine of the love of the Father. Now we don't obviously automatically know the Father's good pleasure. This isn't something into which we're born. We don't simply know that God loves me because I'm a human being and I'm walking around and breathing. It's those who are united to the Lord Jesus Christ who have this wonderful assurance that God is for them. Christ has taken their sins. Heaven's door has been opened. Therefore, let me urge you, if you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you don't know that if you were to die tonight, you would be with him in heaven, to believe in Jesus and to ask him to be your Savior and to trust him and to walk with him into the year 2019. That is how we know the love of God for us. To call on the Lord, to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying to take away your sins and to offer your life back to him, to serve him as your saviour. And friends, if you're not a Christian, that's your only hope your only hope for now and for eternity. And don't delay it. Don't think that you can put it off till even tonight. God is speaking to you this morning and urging you to place your faith in Jesus. Pray to him, even at the close of the service, and ask him to make you his child. And if you've done that, live it. Live in the knowledge of the acceptance of God. The knowledge that God's favour doesn't rest upon your performance, but it rests upon his love of his Son, in whom you are joined by faith. And remind yourself of that today and tomorrow morning. During the day when someone makes a, a nasty comment about you, tell it to yourself when you're running on empty, when you're tired and feeling discouraged. Remind yourself then of the words that are spoken of Jesus but apply to those who are in him. With you I am well pleased. That's the great heritage of the children of God. The heritage of all who received him, who believed in his name. Make sure, before you go home today, that you have done just that, that you are trusting in the Lord Jesus.
We pray together. Father, as surely as your Holy Spirit is urging us to come in faith and repentance to Jesus this morning, grant, we pray, faith to any who do not know you, that they might put their trust in Jesus the sin-bearer and leave behind all that is old and all that will cling to them and condemn them on that last day. And may they know what it is to know the joy of sin forgiven and your love in Christ falling on them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A closing